Hello, and thanks for listening to the Adulting is Easy podcast. This is Lauren, and I manage the Adulting is Easy blog and podcast, which can be found at realadultingiseasy.com and anywhere you listen to podcasts. This week, we have another bonus episode for you. This is the recording from our Twitter spaces on December 8th, 2021. We have our core speakers again. That's myself, Lauren at Adulting is Easy, Stephen Wealthy, Coach Clint, and Tom the Frugal Gay. We're joined this week by our special guest, J-Rod. We talk about fire, that is financial independence, retire early. We talk lean fire, regular fire, fat fire, morbidly obese fire, coast fire. And of course, you're going to learn when and how we plan to retire. Of course, we talked about side hustles, real estate, stocks, crypto, and more. Hope you enjoy it. All right, I'll kick it off. Welcome, everybody. So tonight, we have a really fun topic planned, something that I personally and really all of us are very passionate about, and that is FIRE, which stands for Financial Independence, Retire Early. So the idea behind FIRE is to own enough assets that they generate enough income to pay for your living expenses, because at that point, you can stop working following at Stephen Wealthy underscore he is going to be taking questions for tonight. Make sure you also follow me at Adulting is Easy. We're going to be doing a little bit different. We're going to try to get more DMs, kind of do some polling and stuff throughout tonight. So make sure that you have at least both of us followed, but highly suggest you follow at the Frugal Gay 11 at Money J Rod, and at I am Coach Clint as well. Um, without further ado, then, why don't you, as our honored guest this evening, J Rod, Kick us off. Tell us about yourself and tell us about how you want to retire early. Absolutely. So first of all, just want to say thank you all for inviting me on. It's, uh, it's truly an honor. And uh, it's been been good getting to know each of you during this whole Twitter journey of mine. So truly, truly appreciate it. I've learned so much and, uh, and I look, look forward to learning tonight as well. So just a little bit about me. I'm 33, married with two boys, seven and two. And as we've already said before, I live in Alabama, northwest Alabama to be specific, in a town called Haleyville. Our claim to fame in that town is the, the very first 911 telephone call was made in, uh, in Haleyville, Alabama. So, yeah, that's, that's our, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's our claim to fame. So anyway, fire to me is something that I stumbled across early on in my career, and it was something that that really was something that I've been doing for a while and didn't even realize I was doing it. So I know that sounds kind of odd at first, but uh, going back early on in my just financial journey, my financial literacy journey, we paid off $30,000 early on in our marriage. We had a couple of credit cards. We had some car loans. We had uh, just overall bad spending habits. So just making that section of the story uh, short, uh, paid off debt and began uh, just paying attention to our finances and using budgets and just, you know, building those strong financial habits early on in our marriage. And I think that was really the, uh, the point where we began to realize, you know, if we keep going down this path, we're, we're starting off early in our careers. We can really do something special. And, and I work in the automotive industry uh, as a, a production control analyst, so just your typical office drone. <laughs> and, uh, and I've been fortunate enough to uh, be in this business for uh, 11 years now. And it's not really anything that I aspired to 
be when I grew up, you know, the, the story of, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm still trying to figure that out, but, but it's where I'm at now. And, and, and I realized that, you know, and, and time really does fly. You hear that all the time, but it just seems like it's really flown by here lately for us. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and I got to think, you know, in another 10 years, I'll have 20 years in, which is just, it just blows my mind to think about that. And I'll only be 43 years old. And so I can really pursue this whole fire thing, or at least just the fire portion of it. A little bit about what we have saved back. Um, we've got, between my wife and I, we've got about $280,000 in our retirement accounts across 401ks, uh, Roth IRAs, HSAs, and in um, my wife's government uh, retirement account. She's a first grade teacher. So if we do not touch that money, and uh, or not touch, but if we do not invest another dime, by the time we're 60, we should have somewhere around one and a half million. But of course, we're gonna continue to invest and uh, do some speculative plays along the way to our asymmetric plays and some into uh, Bitcoin. I've, I've just recently uh, began dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin. That, that's only going to ever be five percent of my of our uh, of our overall picture. But who knows? Uh, it, it could go uh, higher than that. It just depends on uh, how things go. But uh, but as far as our fire picture, it's it's a typical financial independence. Uh, story and it, and it's and I guess what I want to to uh, bring up is it's something that people may not realize is possible, but it is just because we started off so early. You know, you talk about people that graduate college and begin their careers, and if they're fortunate enough to have made smart decisions where debt is is debilitating, or maybe they've got very minimal student loans. Or, or something like that, then you can begin the process early. And you know me, I started in my career in my early 20s, so I'm, I'm fortunate enough to actually retire here with all the, the benefits of a retiree at a relatively you know, early age, 43, that's not old at all. <laughs> you know, when I was younger, maybe I thought it was old, but now, you know, 43 is still very young and, and still considered fire, you know, quote unquote, or, you know, financially and able to have financial independence. And, you know, I'm also doing some other things on the side. You know, I've got my coaching practice that I'm starting up and utilizing Twitter in that regard. You know, I've, I've kicked around the idea of a course, and I've also uh, started the process of getting my uh, real, not real estate license, but insurance license to begin selling insurance. And uh, so it's just, it's just part of my plan to do something different. Uh, after I retire from my, my job, and uh, you know, I want to maybe get into some uh, some cash flowing real estate. There's uh, there's some opportunity there in my small town that I live at to uh, maybe pick up a few rentals. So I've got about a 10 year launch, you know, uh, to to kind of come up with something to 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 do in my you know my quote unquote retired time. So it's 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 your typical i guess what you'd say your most common method of, of fire and i guess the the the, the actual term would be a, uh, like a fat fire or lean fire I'm, I'm still kind of fuzzy on the, the actual terms but uh it's it's the it's something that i think most people can do or if you at least do the fundamentals up front early and it's something that you can achieve if you 
or you know if you've got the time horizon you have the discipline and you have the uh, the, the the cash flow to invest uh, enough to make that happen right now we average around 25 percent sometimes we get around 50 percent but the average is 25 to 30 percent of our uh, of our income goes into um, investments and you know any kind of bonus that we get or any other type of uh, things that i make uh, here on twitter that automatically goes to my investment so we're just continuing to invest and as we grow in our careers um, we're gonna use our budgets and the, the, the systems that we have in place to rein in our our spending and control maybe some uh, some lifestyle creep i mean you know it, it's good to to have money to do things and you know do the 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 investing and for the kids college and just enjoying life but but there's a way to do it and do it responsibly and i, I would like to say that's what we're doing so but but anyway, that that's kind of the, my story in a nutshell on how we plan to utilize financial independence, uh, that whole mindset. I love that, J-Rod. Thank you so much for sharing. And I mean, even if that is like the quote unquote common way to do it, it's still amazing to be in the position that you're going to be in in your early 40s. I mean, absolutely incredible. And I love how you said, quote unquote, retired right? Because that's something that the FIRE movement is so big on is we're not talking about the retirement that our grandparents or our parents had, right? You know, I I was, how I think of it, it's like, it's not like I'm going to go play canasta while Eric goes and golfs or something like that. Like, that's not the vision that I have for my early retirement. And I love that yours is like, hey, maybe I'll get an insurance license. Uh, Maybe I'll do, you know, more coaching. Maybe I'll buy some real estate at that point. So I think that's really a key point to the financial independence retire early movement for sure. Yeah. And and it it gets a bad rap, you know, the fire community does. And, And, you know, that's a we may get into that tonight. Uh, you know, that could be a completely separate spaces in and of itself. But, uh, but you know, you can. It, it's not just about going home and sitting and not doing anything. You know, like being like your grandpa's retirement. You know, I have some people tell me, you know, or ask me, what are you going to do? I mean, you're still you're going to be so young when you actually retire from this career. What are you going to do? I mean, you can't just you got to go do something else, of course. And I'm like, well, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not just going to go home and sit down because I, I can't do that, of course, because my my nest egg isn't going to be high enough at that point anyway. But, you know, I've got some other things that I'm doing, um, you know, as I mentioned, the coaching practice and some other things. But it, it's all about doing uh, what you love rather than what you're having to do. And, and that's the way I like to, to view it. And that's why I'm so passionate about pursuing is because, you know, I've got things that I want to do. I've got things that I'm passionate about. I'm not passionate about the automotive industry. It's just something that I'm doing now. It's a means to an end. I'm using my nine to five to help me get there. You know, mm-hmm. nine, to fives, nine to fives catch crap all the time, but it's it's truly the ticket for 95% of people out there. And people need to start use, uh, viewing it in that way. Absolutely. We've talked about that extensively. We did a whole spaces on just that, basically. So... Absolutely. All right. So guys, I would like if you have questions, and I know that we already had a speaking request. So if there's questions for J-Rod or anybody else, please request the mic. Or if you would like to, please DM Steven. And while we are waiting for those to come in, I also wanted to ask a question. I want to test this out and see if this works. And I was curious, what do you want to do when you retire? 
So send me that DM at adulting is easy. Tell me what you want to do when you retire early, right? Like J-Rod wants to do some coaching. He wants to maybe get his insurance license. Shoot me a DM at adulting is easy and let me know. And then while you all are doing that, also, if you have questions for J-Rod specifically or any of us, please send those DMs to at Stephen Wealthy underscore. And uh, M. Benitez, did you have... Uh, question or comment? Yeah, well, not necessarily a question. I think I uh, it's, it's admirable what Jr. just shared. I, I I wanted to add that you know, like like him, you know, he, he met, I'm, I'm in a similar boat, right? To to leverage that leverage that nine to five to sort of get you where you need to go. And um, you know, you, you, he nailed it. But one of the things that that disappoint me when when people say you. you you know, you'll be 43 or you'll be whatever, you know, age it is that he mentioned. Um, so what, right? Like, it doesn't matter what age. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the beauty of it, right? That you're, you're able to do what your heart desires and what you love and you don't have to be obligated to do, sit in a cubicle, if you will, right? So I think that, I think time is actually the asset and not necessarily anything else. So the fact that he was able to start early, and, and, and be able to stay disciplined and found a partner that's able to understand and stay disciplined and stay the course, I think that's the uh, that's sort of the blueprint, right? Be able to sacrifice expenditures and sacrifice certain things. Not that you're going to live under a bridge, you know, but but that you're going to remain disciplined and, and to your ten-year goal, so you can, you know, ultimately do what you what you want to do, right? Whether that's at 33, 43, or 53, or whatever it is, you don't have to kind of you know, do your prison sentence, which is the, the 65, 67, or whatever it is, and then be limited to what all these stipulations of these retirement programs have, right? Like, my, my dad is retired now, and he wants to do some consulting work, and he can't even do that because he has to he has to uh, make sure that he's not, whatever he's charging for his consulting work is not, you know, above whatever threshold the pension had for him, right? So that, that to me, it's it's... You spend all these years working, and you're trying to make a, 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 some side money doing some, you know, drawings. Like he's, a, he's an architect, and you can't even do that because it exceeds whatever pension program you signed up for at the time you had your job. You know what I mean? Like you still stipulate it. Where, where, whereby I think what Jo described and the way he's doing it and the way money goes, I guess in this in this room we're doing it, including myself, is to not have that sort of stipulation, I would, I would think. But I, I think is, I mean, that that what you share, Jr. is an excellent story. Yeah, I think, I think the key that you're referencing there, brother, is freedom, right? What, what most of the people on the panel want, and what you want, we want the freedom to make our own choices. So it doesn't mean we won't work. It simply means we'll do what we want because we're in control of our time and our destiny. And so a lot of us tweet about that, right? Money is not the goal. Money is the tool that allows us to achieve the goal. And the goal is freedom. All right. Thank you so much, M and, Co- and uh, Coach Clint as well. Um, I think we have a question. Before you share that, Stephen, I'm going to go ahead and share what I received. We have from Justin. He wants to open up a coffee shop with J-Rod when he retires. Uh, Mary wants to travel the world with her kids. And Tom, of course, no surprise, he wants to own and manage his own real estate. All right, you're up, Stephen. Tell us the question. 
All right. Thanks, Lauren. Okay, so the question that we had was from up and at Zem. He wants to know from Tom, what's a good place to start a side hustle to build savings to purchase a rental and build that reliable real estate side income? That's the question. And then he adds on top of that, I'm interested in buying and selling small car parts for profit. So maybe J-Rod would have some information or insight on that. But I think, Tom, just what's a good way to get started with side hustle income? I mean, buy it cheap and start on eBay, start on Amazon. For car parts, I've only bought and sold very limited in the last 18 years, but I have bought parts from different cars and sold them through eBay. So I'm starting small and inexpensive. And what can I find in a junkyard and spend you know, $100 on to get me started? I'm not going crazy and buying super crazy expensive stuff i'm starting with the cheap stuff and then i'll scale after that because maybe i do want to sell the 800 parts or the thousand dollar parts but i'm going to start small and you know i i have a friend that just flips car parts and they go through the junkyards and i mean they will pull car seats out and they will pull you know, doorknobs out and anything that you can think of. And they'll spend, you know, a hundred, two hundred dollars and they'll turn that two hundred dollars into four hundred dollars or five hundred dollars and just kind of scale that way. So that's how I'm going at it, you know, to start a side hustle to move you forward in the uh retire early. Uh, that, I mean and I mean that's what I do with I'm not buying car parts, but I'm buying you know, lotion and perfumes and makeup and all that kind of stuff. And that's what I'm, I'm doing with it. I'm just using it to buy more real estate. Well said, Tom. And we talked side hustles last week and we did record that space and it is posted on the adulting is easy. That's my podcast. So you can listen to that as well. Naeem, do you mind if we do Clint's story next and then take your question? Is that okay? Yeah, sure. No worries. Okay. Cause Clint, I think potentially you have to drop off soon. About seven, eight minutes. Yes, I am recording a podcast tonight, which speaking of side hustles, the few of us on here, Lauren and I both do a podcast on the side. I make absolutely zero money on that. It costs me about $10,000 a year. But the idea is that long term, I'll make some money and I'm willing to invest that. And so let's jump into my background. I'm I'm the age J-Rod was talking about well into the future. I'm 43 years old. I also have two kids, two boys, 13 and 10. I have been with my wife for since 1995. So we've been together for 26 years. And the number one thing you can do to ensure your financial independence is have the right partner. Someone that pushes you, grows with you, challenges you to be better. And she's done that along the way and also supported me. So if you have the right partner, life is going to be a lot easier. I like to refer to my fire style that I'm going for as fat fire. I think Lauren called it morbidly obese fire. And what that means is I'm targeting not pulling the trigger until my net worth is above the range of eight to 10 million. And I never plan to be retired. My goal is to always be doing something. And what that looks like for me is I will be coaching, consulting, 
I will be writing books, which is something I currently do on the side with my sister. I will be recording the podcast. I will be investing predominantly in real estate, also in cryptocurrency and the DeFi space. That's an area I'm diving deep into. And once I go into something, I go pretty heavy. And also in private equity. So I'll be looking at buying businesses and improving them. And uh, I'll never, the goal would be to never sell, but to cash flow them the same way a lot of us on the panel do with real estate. My trigger date is five years. So my plan is to retire by 2026. And I have a goal to be able to make $200,000 per year when I'm retired. So I'm setting everything up now and over the next five years so that when I'm done, I can hit the ground running. If it doesn't work, I'll draw down on my savings and the backup plan is, you know, kids are out of the house by sort of 2032. And the way it maths out in my forecast net worth statement, which goes out to 2040, is that in 2032, I could sell the house, pay off all the debt on all of our rental properties and earn enough income and buy a, sorry, buy a, you know, a large downsize apartment for my wife and I to live in and use the money from our rental properties to never have to work. So I don't want to get there. I never want to sell the house I'm living in. I'd love to live here for the rest of my life. But if I have to, this is the backup plan is the house. And so that's my retirement plan, Lauren. Uh, any questions or back to you? I love that, Clint. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I, the, the net worth number is still just, it's so high to me, but I love that you're going to be there in five years. I love that you have your plan. I'm sure everybody can tell that you're a CFO by day with your uh, 2040 net worth statement. So that's awesome. Any questions for Clint, please very quickly message Stephen at Stephen Wealthy underscore. Bashar, what's your question? Uh, just a side question regarding the fire movement in general. What is there a name or a, uh, for an aggressive fire uh, strategy by any chance? I just want to know. Thank you. I think the aggressive approach would be to get your expenses down very low and save a lot and then have a frugal life and then cash flow enough. Bye, Clint. And then um, cash flow enough to pay for your living expenses. So, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm interpreting your question incorrectly, but the lean fire movement, and I know someone who lives off of this amount of money. She is married. Her name is Meg. She's married. She has two small children and they just, you know, fired recently and they live off of $25,000 US dollars per year. So to them, you know, to me, that was the aggressive approach, right? They got very, very frugal. She certainly is a minimalist. She writes about it a lot. You know, fantastic person. The, the kids have a great time. They have a great life. And they're spending all of it with their parents now who are in their 30s. So that, to me, is the aggressive approach. And that's called lean fire. Fat fire is, I th- you know, like above $100,000 per year. Morbidly obese fire, which Clint mentioned, is around $200,000. Kind of like a regular amount of fire is, you see different numbers, but I think it's about what the average family 
makes or the average salary is in the United States, which is 60,000 per year. So those are kind of the different numbers. There's a ton of like different kinds and variants thereof, but those are kind of the main ones that at least I've heard about. Does that answer your question, Bashara? Yes, you nailed it. Lean and fat. That, that, I just wanted to make sure, like, what's the difference between them? That, that's perfect. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah, sure. Of course. And then I think Stephen's going to be continuing to field questions. My next polling question for everybody, and these go to me at adulting is easy, is related to what Clint was talking about. And that is what age will you be? when you plan to retire, right? J-Rod's going to be about 43. Clint is 43. He's going to be about 48. So I was just curious if you guys could shoot me a note at adulting is easy. Just give me your age. Um, A guess is fine. I can't, I have no ability to fact check you. So go ahead and shoot me that. And Steven, let me know if you have any DM questions. I don't. Okay. So far I have 40. That's Tom. Tom's 39. So the clock's ticking, Tom. Anybody else want to share their story, share their number with me? Do, 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 do. Steven, yours is 48. You're yeah, the same oh, as, you guys are the same as Clint. Yeah, exactly. We're going to retire together and uh, <laughs> go chill out in the Rocky Mountains, man. <laughs> We're going to get one of those, uh, what do you call that? The off-grid, off-grid cabins. And if all else fails, they're going to come chill in a crack house in Toledo, Ohio. <laughs> That's right. We're all invited to Toledo. Yeah, we're gonna, we're, we're, what's the best, where's the best place to get those crack? Is it off eBay or Craigslist or where, where'd you get that one? I bought that one off eBay. Yes. I bought a crack house on eBay. Oh my gosh. All right. Mary's going to be 45. FI Squirrel. Nice to see you on here again. You're going to be 35 and you're 33. So congrats to you. Let's see. Justin, 48. Is that the magic number? It's 48. Yeah, it's the, right the 48. Number. It's 48. It's the magic number. It's got, there's a lot of leeway built into those because you can, you know. <laughs> and Justin, you're like in your, you're in your low 30s, right? Or you're like, so I think you're like my age, if I remember correctly. Cool. So there we go. So you guys have wide range. That's the thing about fire that I think is so, so interesting. So who who was the lowest one? Who was somebody who was in their thirties, right? Who was the lowest F- one? Fi squirrel. Oh, at thirty-five. That's right. He's got <laughs> massive not stash of. Uh, <clears throat> I don't want to. I know. Nuts. I don't want to call it nuts, but you know what I'm talking about. He's got a massive stash of. <laughs> I thought you were going to cry when you said that last week, Steven. <laughs> I thought you were like, oh my god, no. <laughs> Kenny's going to be 50. Awesome. Good, Kenny. That's great. David? Can, you're not gonna can, can, I'm curious, Kenny, how old are you? I don't, because like, we, we DM and work together almost daily. Can he, can he share? I don't know how old he is. Because there's a lot of room, I think, sooner. So I'm curious if he could message you um, <laughs> how Kenny, old he is right now. What's your what's your DOB? Yeah, what's your date da- da- date of birth, man? <laughs> <laughs> Kenny's like, he's I'm starting, out of here. He's I'm ba- thirty-two. I'm <laughs> he's thirty-two. Kenny, we're the same age. Nice man. There you go. All right. Cool. Cool. Okay. Cool. So, all right. So we've got a pretty broad range. That's what I was gonna say. Like, fire is pretty cool because you know there's some people that retire like right around 30s and people 40 i mean 50 55 that's still early you know what i mean so that's one of the things i think is really really cool about fire 
All right, do we have any speakers? Neil, did you have a question or comment before we move on to the next panelist? Uh, yes, I did have a question. Can you hear me okay? Sure can. Okay, great. So um, I actually turned, little background, I actually turned 50 on Sunday, and I actually retired early and reached financial independence a few months before that. So I did it at the age of 49. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are, how to answer the what do you do for a living question. So um, no one in my social circle has reached fire. Um, whenever you know you meet someone in our culture and our society, within a minute or two, one of the first questions you get asked is, what do you do? And when I tell people, oh, I retired early, inevitably the response I've gotten from everyone is utter confusion and bewilderment. How can someone so relatively young have done that? Um, and I've been told I look even a little bit younger than 50, so it's, it's even more of a problem. So I kind of fumble through something. I don't want to say anything about reaching financial independence because a lot of people haven't. A lot of people are struggling economically. Neil, I think we accidentally muted you if you want to uh, unmute. Okay. Can you hear me again? Yeah. And by we, he means me. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. So, so <laughs> the anyway, buttons are so small. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. Just to wrap up this soliloquy. Um, so I'm just wondering um, – how you answer the question of what you do for a living when you're fire in a way that isn't awkward, um, in a way that doesn't drive you nuts. Um, part of me is just like, if someone asked me, what do I do? I just want to say whatever the hell I want, but I just, I don't know. So just curious your thoughts about that. I'll go ahead and go. I make it really fun because when I do transition away from my nine to five, I'm still going to run a resale business and I'm still going to collect rents from real estate. So when I, you know, get the shock and awe look or comment, I give them a shock or awe answer where I say I sell bras. And of course, nobody is like, do you seriously sell bras? But um, that is something that I sell a lot of and I've bought real estate selling bras. So I go more the fun route just so it's not an awkward conversation because I know, like you're saying, everyone has this vision of me sitting at home and watching Bridget Jones' diary all day and just chilling, and that's not at all what my fire plan is. So when I and, – and I do get this crazy look from people when I talk about this transitioning away from my 99 to 5, I just make it more fun and, and turn it around on them. Then trying to explain, um, I'm you know financially stable. I don't have any consumer debt. I do have 16 people paying me rent every month, so I try and make it more fun. And I don't know if you're doing any kind of side hustle, Neil, but that's kind of you know I have my side hustle as my fun answer, and I do sell bras and lipstick, so it's a fun transition for me. Sorry about that, guys. We had an internet problem there. I think your point is super valid, though, Tom is. Have you know? Have a side hustle. Have something fun to do and occupy your time there and stuff. Like just to to build on your point before JRI goes. My dad is seventy five. He's retired, and I try and find things to keep him busy and occupied. Like if there's something around my home or something like that that I can have him do. He's really hands on kind of guy and stuff. But I think it's super important to keep busy. Not just you know, the, the, there's a misconception that we want to retire early. So we can go sit and like you were saying, like watch Bridget don't Bridget Jones diary all day long. We do not <laughs> want to do that. What we want to do is go pursue a different passion or another activity that we are really into or wanting to grow or, or see ha something constructive happen there. Okay. J Rod. 
I guess what I was going to say is, you know, what we've already mentioned is, you know, we plan on working beyond, you know, reaching fire and we have our passion projects and everything that we want to do. But then you think about someone like uh, Steve on speed. I'm sure most people here are familiar with Steve on speed. You know, he lives out in the desert with his wife. You know, he's living the, the dream, you know, the typical fire dream. And he's been on CNBC and all these other people. And just because he's been on CNBC and, you know, all of these uh, media outlets, it's a spectacle. You know, it's, it's an oddity. It's something that people aren't familiar with. So it's captivating. And in his situation, you know, he, he does some freelance work and does some Twitter stuff. For the most part, if, if somebody off the street were to look at him, they would say, well, he's, you know, he's not doing anything. He's just sitting at home. He's a bum, you know, where we all know, in fact, he's indeed a millionaire and he's living the defire life. But I think if you are aspiring to just, if you have the assets to live off of and sit at home and actually do, you know, nothing or just travel or, you know, just relax, I don't, it's going to, you're going to be very, very challenged to explain that because explaining that type of lifestyle to your common everyday person is like a group of scientists and trying to explain, you know, quantum physics to the normal person. You're not going to be able to uh, explain it to them or convince them. So I guess the point I'm making is, you know, screw what everybody else thinks, you know, or, you know, if, if, you, if you don't have to explain anything, you know, this is your life and you've made the right choices to enable you to live this life. So, you know, the hell what everybody else thinks. Just, just live your life. Now you got to repeat the whole thing, J-Roy, because Neil's here now. I cut the end of it, and I think that is the way to go. It's just like, who, who cares what people think? And answer it however you want and let the chips fall where they may. But I, but I understand what you're saying. It's going to be a tremendous pain in the butt because you're going to get questions all the time. And I anticipate this is something that I'm going to run into when I eventually retire to. Because, you know, like I said, I'm going to be around 43 years old when I leave my job. And I'm going to have to do something different. And it's going to be not in the traditional type of way. You know, I, I could go work somewhere else, but I don't want to. Um, I'm going to have these passion projects generating income. So, and, and that's something that I'm, I'm going to be in the same boat as you trying to explain this. And But I can explain, you know, well, I'm a content creator or I'm a money coach or something like that. And even then, somebody's probably going to look at me funny because it's just something that not many people think about or see but i think you get the idea you just live your life and uh you know who cares what anybody else thinks yeah okay thanks very much no it's it's a really good point because j-rod when when you retire at 43 and neil when you retired at 49 those are both the most productive years like that kind of time frame are those the highest earning years of our life most productive years we've full of experience full of skill and then we're kind of at the peak at that point it's kind of a downhill after that until we're into our 60s or so on a, on a typical retirement and so i think yeah it's super important to always have something that we can be productively engaged in creating something that's of value to other people the difference is that we're the one in charge we're doing what we want to do when we want to do it and there's no upward limit no one's telling us we're only going to pay you 60 grand a year for that. You get to find out what the market's going to reward you for it. And that's a, that can be really exciting because you can make a ton of money by pursuing your passion. 
or you get to find out what <laughs> well, why it was wrong, reset, reconfigure, retool, and go again. And because you got those assets to help you out and give you that foundation, you're willing to take some risks into some new passions, into some new avenues, and try something else. Try something new, retool it, give it another shot, and you can really have a lot of fun and create an incredible future for yourself. Yeah, I think you made an interesting point there about, you know, the, the age that we plan to uh, fire is, is, you know, your highest, your, your, the age where you reach your highest income potential and, and reaching fire and quitting at that age flies in the face of conventional wisdom because society has been programmed to think, okay, I'm supposed to work for 30, 40 years until I'm reaching my, uh, you know, the typical traditional retirement age, get on Social Security, uh, because that's what my grandfather did. That's what my dad did. I mean, that's that's what society believes. And, and doing anything other than that is uh, is just very foreign to a lot of people. And it's, it's difficult to get people to understand um, our mindset, because it is indeed a mindset. You know, if you want to retire, retire early, you have to have that, re- that mindset of saving and investing and being, uh, you know, being responsible and making wise choices with careers and making sacrifices because the point is, you know, sometimes you have to make some sacrifices. You can't do what everybody else is doing because you, just the math, the sheer mathematics behind it uh, demands that you have to do something different than what everybody else is doing. Yeah, exactly. So I think that I will go next then. And I just want to tell you a little bit about myself and my husband and where we are at. So just you understand kind of where where we're sitting. And Neil, by the way, happy belated 50th birthday. That's awesome. And congrats on your retirement at 49. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I am in the Tampa Bay area of Florida. I am 32 years old. My husband and I got married in 2019. We've been together since 2015. And he is 29 I have a bachelor's of science in finance from the university of Florida and that's business finance. Um, it was a few years later that I got interested in personal finance and got my graduate certificate in personal financial planning from Boston university. So I've been pretty passionate about personal finance for the last couple of years or so. I do have a personal finance podcast and we are recording this and that will be posted in the next few days or so. Um, thanks, everybody, for hanging with us as we dropped internet there. There'll be some editing and things that need to be done, but we will get the recording of this up. So now into FIRE. So my husband and I are investors in a couple of different areas. So sometimes with real estate investors or crypto investors or stock investors, they're like overwhelmingly in that one asset class, and that's really not us. We are about 40% stocks. Most of that is in our retirement accounts. We do have some in a brokerage account. We have about 50% real estate. We have six doors right now. We're going to have 12 in the next week or so. We're adding six. And then we have some private equity that's about 9%. And crypto is like 1% or so. So our main plan, you can pretty much tell from those percentages, is to retire early based off of real estate and our stocks. So when are we going to retire? As I said, I'm 32 years old. I will be 35 in um, 2024 is when I will turn 35. I want to be done working around then. My husband, who is, as I mentioned, a few years younger than me, his goal is to retire by 40, um, which is 2032, and transition to part-time probably sometime between now and then. Early retirement is a moving target. 
my husband and I, you know, we're looking at it all the time, talking about it all the time. Those are kind of our numbers where we sit right now. We'll reevaluate every couple of years or whatever. We have about 375000 in our retirement accounts, which I was doing some compound interest calculating, and it'll be worth $2.5 million if it's compounded annually at 7% when I turn 60 years old. So if you combine that with the real estate that we have, which is currently worth $1.5 million, or that's about what we'll have once we close on the six unit, we are well on our way um, to fat fire, which as we talked about earlier, just a refresher, it's about $100,000 in living expenses every month. I mean, every year. Oh, every month. That'd be awesome. So $100,000 a year. We're well on our way to that. We are currently what you might call coast FI, which means that you could stop or you could stop contributing to your retirement accounts at any time and just pay your bills only from your job and be able to retire at like a somewhat normal retirement age because you have enough money in your retirement accounts. And J-Rod, I think you're pretty much there too from the numbers that you shared. So we consider our ownership stake in my husband's engineering firm kind of a lottery ticket. So ideal world, right? This is what Clint was talking about a little bit. Ideal world, the company sells when he's 40. It's worth a lot. We even maybe our health insurance is covered for a little while after the sale, or maybe we just make so much money off of that, that it doesn't even matter. We're not really banking on that. That'll be more of like a lifestyle upgrade that we will get from the sale of the business. Um, We're literally not banking on that. Crypto, what bit that we have, which is about like $7,000 right now, it falls into kind of the lottery ticket category for us. So that's kind of where we are. We consider ourselves fat fire between fat fire and morbidly obese fire, as we were talking about. And we're on our well on our way there to be there by, you know, 35 to 40 years old. And that primarily is through aggressively saving in our retirement accounts, but also the real estate and specifically house hacking. So my husband and I live in a property where the property pays for itself because there are multiple units and we rent those out. And through that, it really has been kind of the launch pad for this wealth that we've been able to generate in our 20s. And, and now for me, early 30s. So if there are any questions, please feel free to request the mic or DM Stephen at Stephen Wealthy underscore. Looks like we have a couple speaking requests. And my poll question for everybody, message me your answers to the poll question. I'm at adulting is easy. My question is, which kind of fire are you pursuing? So we've talked about lean fire, fat fire, morbidly obese fire, coast fire. Send me a note and let me know what you are currently pursuing. And let's see. White Cat, would you like to speak? I don't know what that says. Or Bashar, do you want to go? Or Jashan? Let's let Jashan go. Bashar, hold on one second. Yeah, sure. Uh, Lauren, I know you're talking uh, about how um, you're involving real estate and stocks as well. Just wondering, um, maybe I missed the part in between, but I guess what would be your primary kind of income source? Because I know there's a lot of people who um, they solely live off their stock portfolio. Um, Others have like a mix of cash flow plus their stock portfolio. Others, they simply don't touch their stock portfolio and just kind of pass it on to the next generation and then just live off the cash flow. So um, kind of thought I'd get a little feel for that as well. Yeah. So much like our portfolio right now in terms of percentages and that stocks are 40 percent, real estate is 50 percent. 
we're anticipating about that contributing to our yearly expenses. Some of that depends on what we do with our real estate. As I mentioned, we are going to be buying a six unit. If that is not paid off, like if we keep a note on it, the cash flow on that will be about between somewhere between fifty and eighty thousand per year. If we pay off that note, which is actually something my husband and I were talking about at dinner, were a lot of fun. We were thinking if we pay that off, then that's going to be like a hundred thousand dollars just from that one property, and we have two properties in addition to that. And then, you know, like I said, almost four hundred thousand dollars in stocks. So we could be in a position where. Our cash flow from real estate is $120,000 and our cash flow from stocks is like, I don't know, 50 to 80, somewhere in there. Um, again, it's a, it's really, truly a moving target. We, you know, we could easily, something that we talked about, we could easily take this six unit and those are six long-term rentals right now, convert them to six short-term rentals, get an appraisal after two or three years with the income from the short-term rentals like double the value because we're talking about numbers, right? Do a cash out refi or just refi it in general because it's commercial property and then buy more property with that. So we're going to be at a junction point in a few years here where we have to really look each other in the eye and make this decision. Are we going to double down on this or are we going to wind down on this? So just generally, that's that's where I'm at for now. I hope that answers the question a little bit. No, that makes sense. And uh, if you don't buy that sixplex, send it my way. Give me the address because it sounds like a damn good deal. <laughs> We're set to close. The lawyer, the lawyer has the docs. We're doing a ten thirty one. The escrow company has the cash. We 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 have a storage unit full of blenders. So uh, we're we're buying that thing. But yeah. So FI Squirrel, I think I saw you raise your hand. Yeah, I think it was you kind of covered it in your answer. I was more or less wondering. If you have an idea of what your, I love the term enough. When you know you have enough, you've reached kind of the cash flow goal you're going for. Does that change your strategy? Do you pivot to now? Do you start focusing on paying down debt and securing yourself, or do you think you guys just keep growing? Yeah, yeah, that's that's really what we were talking about today. And some of that, a lot of that, is going to depend on whether we decide to have a kid or not. Um, if we choose, and it will be one, if we choose to, I mean, unless it swims, if we choose to have a child, that would probably mean we are going to pay down the six unit, right? Which just gives us as much cash flow and freedom as possible rather than, you know, continuing as my parents call it, our real estate empire, right? Uh, you know, so some of it is, and I think this is kind of a theme that we're seeing here is it's a moving target a little bit, right? Like, you know, J-Rod could get to 10 years from now and may probably maybe, you know, change, change tax a little bit. Tom, you're, you're less than a year out. So I think you're probably pretty set, but some of it is, you know, and I think, I think Brandon for Rinky Do Finance asked this today on Twitter, you know, what would you do? Are you going to retire when you can? Are you going to work for lifestyle? And I answered him as honestly as I could. I'm going to get to that retirement, that enough number, and then decide whether it's worth working for lifestyle or, or not. That's a great answer. And do you find that you and your husband are on the same page as far as risk appetite or even what your number will be one day? We're very close to being on the same page. Every now and then he'll tell me he wants a multi-million dollar house on the water. 
Um, and every now and then he'll tell me he wants to retire as soon as possible. So, you know, but for the most part, we're definitely on the same page. We're both, you, you could not do what we're doing. You can't, you can't house hack, first of all, if you're really not on the same page. It would be almost impossible to like force somebody to live in close proximity to your tenants or, or guests or whatever, or to save as aggressively as we are for retirement or, you know, to do the things that we're doing for the short-term rentals. We really are on the same page with everything. And it's all about, it's truly, truly all about communicating. Like we really had, you know, a conversation today at dinner. He's asking me, hey, you know, what's your spaces tonight about? I'm telling him and he's like, well, what's our plan? And, and you know, we're talking it through and we're always doing that. Whether it's at dinner, or we talk a lot on bike rides or walks about these kinds of things. So we're pretty much on the same page. And if not exactly on the same page, we're really, really close. And, and through some some communication and some reasoning, we'll get on the same page when it matters. That's awesome. Like Clint said, I think that's one of the most pivotal parts of people's success is being on the same direction and swimming in the same stream the same way. Yes. Well said. Well said. Okay. Squirrel. Uh, Bashara, what's going on? All right. I'm a house hacker myself as well. I can't stress that enough. You have to be on your partners, uh, uh, with your partners on the same page, a hundred percent. If they're not willing to house hack or, you know, do whatever you guys, uh, you know, financial goals, uh, together that's going to be like swimming against the current and it's going to slow you down it's not going to be healthy at all I, I was lucky that my partner supported that and i had to uh, like you get to a point because we're renting by the room and you actually interact you know see the tenants once a day at least you know probably so you have to be on the same page with your partner on this Exactly. That's definitely, I mean, with, with anything, you should probably financially be on the same page as your partner, but nothing more so than when you live next to your tenants, which if you can hear them in the background, their country music's really loud. Sorry about that. Let's see. I didn't get any, I didn't get any answers to my most recent poll, which was, which kind of fire are you pursuing? So I think we will move on to our next panelist, which is Tom. Thank you, Lauren. My name is Tom Brickman. I am the frugal gay. I am 39 years old. I live in Dallas, Texas. I invest heavily. 70% of my investments are in real estate. I am in two states. I'm in Toledo, Ohio and Dallas, Texas. I currently own 16 doors and I collect a mortgage on one additional property. So I collect money from 17 people each month. My partner is definitely on the same page. He is 29, about to be 30. And I am working towards fire as far as I will try and transition away from my nine to five before I turn 40 next year. And he will also work towards transitioning away from his nine to five by the time he turns 40. And with that being said, we are definitely on the same page. He has one door himself. He should have a second door by the end of the year. And by the time I am 50 and by the time he is 40, we want every property that we own paid off in full. About half of mine are, are paid off in full right now. And by the time I am 50, the remaining half should be paid in full along with his batch of properties that we are building for him right now. So my definition of, of financially independent, I am a debt-free consumer debt-wise. I do not carry any kind of debts. Like I just said, several of my properties are owned free and clear. I am not a super duper aggressive real estate investor where I don't 
I, I like to buy things in cash. I'm a side hustle enthusiast. So when I do transition away from my job, I'm going to continue to manage my real estate portfolio. I'm going to continue to do my side hustle, which is flipping merchandise on eBay. So I, you know, when people ask me what I'm doing, if I'm retiring, it's simply I'm leaving my nine to five, but I will be working in other real estate and, and my side hustles. So that is kind of where I'm at with the um, fire movement. I'm working towards coast fire. We're kind of both targeting $2 million real estate portfolios. So we'd have that in addition to our 401k, in addition to our um, Roths, in addition to our brokerage accounts. So all of that is bonus is how we're figuring it. And we're heavily investing in real estate in the two different states. I'm going to go ahead and if anyone has questions, you can direct them to Stephen, but I'm also going to turn it over to Stephen unless anyone has questions right now and wants the mic. Yeah, no, th thanks, Tom. I don't have any questions in here uh, for you there, but we'll give them a moment to, to come in if they have any. I'm always thoroughly impressed with, with your story and your strategy and exactly what you're doing and how you're pursuing it. It's, uh, it's incredible that you have... 16 doors paying you each month. It's it's absolutely mind-boggling that you're doing it with such a low debt load as well, too. Important to acknowledge my 9 to 5 is a retail job, uh, which I've been with the same company for 15 years. I definitely do not make six figures. So the way that I've built my portfolio is I've bought the low-hanging fruit off the bat. And I have leveraged it up and traded, I'm sorry, traded it up over time. So I started with, in 2010, I was buying, you know, $10,000, $15,000 condos. And now those condos are $100,000 condos. So I'll trade those condos for, you know, a multifamily. I'll use that $100,000 condo now and trade it into a, a multifamily or, or a better, you know, single family in a A-class neighborhood. I've used all those condos to get me where I, I've been. And I definitely have not been making six figures at my nine to five. Really sounds like you're playing Monopoly. <laughs> and I want all the best properties. Yes. yes. I want, <laughs> I want boardwalk. I love it. All right, everybody. We have some um, speakers here, some hands up. And my, my poll question again, at adulting is easy. DM me or tweet at me. Um, I was curious what the, what your fire number is. So with Tom, we kind of heard some numbers coming out of there, you know, 2 million in real estate for you, 2 million for your husband. Does anybody have like a net worth number? And I think me and my husband's is going to be around like 2.5 to 3 million, just as an FYI. So go ahead and shoot me that DM. If I scroll, I see your hand, Bashara. I see your hand. Matt requested the mic before you guys put your hands up. So Matt, got a question? Meanwhile, we're still waiting for White Cat. <laughs> 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 if I scroll, why don't you take it, bud? Oh, no, there's Matt. He's on, he's on oh, here we go. Here we go. All right, Matt. Matt's on fire. Let's hear it. Sorry, this is my first time joining. No, I, I know. The first time, it's always a little bit daunting. I, I got you. Yeah, and I'm sorry. I accidentally um, pushed the speaker. I, I don't know how I got a speaker um, status here, so I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. Did you have a question or anything you wanted to share or maybe what your insights are on fire? Maybe for the one that who spoke earlier, I forgot his name, the frugal gay. How do you think LGBT community perceives money and finance? I think it's kind of unique or foreign to a lot of uh, people in the, in the LGBT community. 
Um, so I, that's part of why I started the free will gay. Cause I, it is foreign to a lot in the LGBTQ community and between the debt free guys and myself, and there are a few other LGBTQ creators in the finance space. I'm not aggressively yet, but I am coaching and, and, and showing that just because you're a part of this community and you know, like there's a, uh, a creator that I'm working with and she, she's writing a book right now on, on LGBTQ who, uh, who just work off of tips, which is a lot of the LGBTQ community. So I, I see that there's an opportunity there. I see from my own community that there is a ton of self doubt. There was just a poll on my Facebook about how housing is unaffordable and they can't afford to ever buy a house. And, I, I know that I should never engage and, and fight out on Facebook, but I certainly stepped up and I said, you're not going to be able to buy that million dollar condo in downtown, but you can certainly start with the hundred thousand dollar condo and you're working your way towards that million dollar condo in downtown. So I think, you know, the more literacy that's spread and the right information and getting that information to people is important to make them see, yes, I can do this. And no, I'm not going to start with the perfect house or I'm not going to, you know, but you can definitely build wealth in any community. Agree. Thank you. hundred percent. All right. Let's see. I think, I think FI squirrel, can you go next? Then Bashara, then Deshaun. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, I think I want to try and keep it nice and quick for you, Tom. I was just wondering, sure. Some of the panel knows, but what's your best real estate investment? and your worst real estate investment? Just go to Cole's notes and whether you still hold either of them. Okay, so um, I actually just posted about one of my worst purchases, which I purchased in December of 2020. It's a duplex in Toledo, Ohio that I still own and I'm going to finish out. I've probably got about 20,000 to put into it still, but that should finish in the next few months. The reason it was a bad purchase is because I did prices off of 2020 pricing versus what 2021 pricing has become. I'm using the same flooring company right now. And when they gave me a price last year, it was $3,000. And when they're doing the flooring right now, it's 4,400. So I just... I did not see the prices inflating to what they were. I also did not know the unknowns like plumbing from the street. So I just overspent my budget, even with all my contingencies of 65,000 is going to end up at 120,000. I see the house appraising at around 150. So I'm going to be a little bit underwater off the bat, but it's going to be a long-term hold. I have two great purchases, um, which I own one still. I bought a hoarder house also in 2020. I bought four properties in 2020. Um, I bought a hoarder house in an A-class neighborhood that everyone was afraid of. And my friends and my husband and I spent every weekend for 11 weeks emptying it out into 11 40-yard dumpsters. Um, it was a scary process. But once we were done and once we did the renovations, we had almost $200,000 in equity in it. And it really took us doing the work. And I was very selective who I let into the house because the house was so bad and so hoarded up to the ceilings that it just, uh, it was a mess. It was a mess. It was a massive undertaking. Um, but that was kind of my COVID project since we were alone in the house besides the little creatures that had crawled in. We did that every single weekend. And that's my best property. So, and, and I do, I posted um, earlier this week, my, my cheapest asset that I own, I bought a house last year, also in December in Toledo, Ohio. I found it on Craigslist. 
I bought it for $11,000. I put $14,000 right into it and I collect $795 a month on it right now. That's, that's my low end. And then I have, you know, the hoarder house, which is a a $400,000 house. So I, uh, I am right across the board with real estate. Some of these cheaper properties that I've picked up in Toledo, Ohio, make me way more money than the, um, higher end houses that I have here in Dallas, Texas. Tom, you blow me away every week. That's awesome. Awesome answer. Thank you. That's what I, like, every time Tom shares his story and what he's doing and the assets he's buying, it just, my mind gets blown every time. I just feel like you and I should head on down to Toledo, Ohio, team up with Tom and just run the show. Like, let's, let's finish this empire off. Like, <laughs> it's incredible. They are, like, are prices still like that now, Tom? Like, is it? No, like, the, like that house, the $11,000 house that I bought last year would probably sell for around 40. And yes, I did put 14,000 into it. It's still um, even 40 though. Like even uh, yeah, that, you, even a hundred. You could get a four. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of. I just bought a duplex uh, at the beginning of December. Uh, I paid sixty six thousand for it, and uh, right now the upstairs is empty, and we're painting and getting it ready. And the downstairs is rented at four hundred dollars a month, which is way, 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 way below market. It was the owner's son, um, so right now we're just letting him chill. So it's covering our bills, and we are getting the upstairs ready, and we'll rent the upstairs for seven ninety five. And then we will take his unit to eight ninety five um, if he chooses to stay, or if we end up losing. And guys, Lauren just shared the tweet about one of my worst purchases. Which again, I'm going to hold this property. It's not like I lost this money off the bat, but I'm going to be a little bit underwater when the appraisal comes in. I, I purchased it for emotional reasons. It's it's got a water view. I wanted something where I could stay because I'm tired of staying in hotels when I go up there. So I bought this because I like the location, not because the property was in good shape. It is a 114 year old house, and I've had contractors walk away through the process. I've had a lot of unknowns come up with foundation, with broken pipes from the street, with the whole roof tear off, and with inflation added on. It's just the projected budget and the actual budget are just almost double what I thought they were last year. It's crazy. Jashan, let's go with you, bud. You're up next. Sure. Tom, great job. First of all, it seems like you're really uh, doing well for yourself and, and uh, you know, building that real estate portfolio. I had a question. I, I believe you're, you, you mentioned you're out of Dallas and you're investing in Toledo, Ohio. So I thought I'd get an idea. Um, like I, I purchased a long distance property before, but I thought I'd get your take kind of on what you're looking at. Do you actually go down to the property and visit it or are you kind of just looking through pictures and videos? And no. I guess my second question is kind of, are you overseeing the project while you're there or do you have like a general contractor who's looking over it? So I went to college in Toledo. That's why I started purchasing there. I purchased my first uh, multifamily when I was 21 and living in Toledo. I do go up, I believe by the end of the year, I'll have been to Ohio nine times this year. And I go up for a long, like four day weekends. I do have a general contractor that's kind of running it, but we've had a lot of, he's had a lot of trouble getting people in to do work this year. So the process has been really, really, really slow. This was supposed to be a six month project and we're, we're about to finish the 12 month mark and we probably probably have another month or so of work on it. So I do go up. Um, if I didn't have a, co- and I've had the same management company up there that does my evictions and does my yard maintenance and all that. 
I probably would have stopped investing in Toledo, Ohio a long time ago. I tried to invest in Cleveland, Ohio, and I couldn't build a good enough team. And I exited that market and I lost money on the deal. I had owned one single family property in Cleveland. So if I didn't have a solid team up there, which I have taken some of my my Dallas team up to Ohio just because it's been so hard to get solid workers up there that I know aren't going to run away with my money because I've had it happen twice on this deal, I, I wouldn't be investing in it. It's tough to be an out-of-state landlord. I collect the rents. My management company does everything else. Um, as far as if we have to go to court, as far as if they need repairs, they contact the management company. They tell me, you know, they're they're doing plumbing at one of the properties right now. So I always get looped in somehow, but um, I've taken any, you know, tenants are not contact. I have one tenant that's been there for 10 years that still contacts me. And I think it's more just to annoy me than to um, actually tell me anything valid. I'm out of the equation as far as that. Appreciate it, Tom. And um, I guess just a one more quick question. Um, I know you mentioned that you are going slightly over budget so in terms of like funding that are you thought i'd get an idea of like how you're funding it? is it through like the cash flow or you just some of your reserves so or so, so i'm at one hundred and three thousand as of sunday night and i am cash flowing at all i have no loan on the property right now what i like to do is i like to get them done and then do sort of a cash out refi so that 103000 is coming from my nine to five. It's coming from rents and it's coming from selling bras and makeup on eBay. And that's uh, been a huge strain on me this year, trying to cash flow 103000 and it'll end up at 120000 But I see the finish line and I know I'm close. And my, my father and my husband went up to it this past weekend and they, they worked on it for a little bit. And my dad's like, you know, I just put it up for sale for 99 and get rid of it. And I can't just let it go at this point. I'm so close and I can see the finish line and I can see how awesome the floors are turning out this week. And I've put so much into this that I'm like, dad, I'm not doing that. And he's told me to walk away from deals before. And he's like, okay, you were right. You know, when the deal's done and the appraisal comes back and he, he's definitely, but um, I just can't let go of it at this point. So I've had to cash flow it and I've made it work. And luckily we're, we're having a great eBay season. And, you know, today we sold 17 items that we'll ship out tomorrow. And that's kind of how I've cash flowed this right now. And I cannot wait till I can get it over the finish line in, in March, go to a bank and say, will you give me money for this? Cause I know it's going to look great. And they're going to, I have some really promising comps really close to it where they're selling quite high. So appreciate it, Tom. Keep it up. And Bashara, your hands up. Hey Tom. Well, <clears throat> congrats on your uh, 16 doors. I was very, <laughs> it's beyond impressive. The Craigslist uh, purchase recently. I just, uh, I'm wondering, how did you get four houses in 2020? You said, what type of loans did you get for them? So in 2020, I purchased the, my husband purchased his first store and that was a condo and the owner did owner finance. So we did no traditional loan on that. And he's almost all paid off on that one. And that's in Dallas. Uh, the second one was the hoarder house, which I had to get really creative with financing. I used every kind of penny that I had. I touched everything except for like $10,000 of my emergency fund. And then I was like, no bank is going to give me money on this. It's in an A-class neighborhood, but it has like um, squirrels running in and out of the house. So I actually took out a personal loan from my bank for to cover 50000 of it because I knew what the house was. I just had to get it to that level, and I needed the money right then. And 
I clicked a few buttons and the $50,000 was in my account the next day, which was, I mean, that's just part of when you pay your bills and you don't carry consumer debt, you have banks that are willing to give you the, and it was a high interest rate. It was like 8.9%, but I didn't really care because I refinanced it six months later when I made it look amazing for the next two, which was a multifamily and the single family that I found on Craigslist. Those are both. So those both, the first two properties are in, in Dallas. And then the second two were both, I sold a condo in November of 2020 uh, that I had purchased for $14,500. I sold it for a lot, lot more than that in Dallas. And then I did a like kind exchange for the two properties in Ohio with it. So I didn't take out any traditional loans at all. Um, in all of 2020, I just traded condos for different properties. We did an owner finance, and then we did um, the personal loan on the hoarder house. And then in 2021 is when I went and got money back for the hoarder house, and I paid off that personal loan right away. And that's kind of how we've we did that last year. And I think um, I'm real close to, I, I just closed on a multifamily two weeks ago, and then we should probably, between my husband and I, close on one more additional Dallas property, if not two, by the end of the by the end of the year. Tom, that's awesome. Wow. One last question for you. I don't want to take long on here. Um, if you had <clears throat> cash right now, like literally cash sitting, would you would you use it? I think we lost you, and I had tons of cash sitting in my account, and I've spent it all on this multifamily that I shouldn't have purchased last year. No, I wouldn't spend it. I'm not, I'm more conservative. I'm not super big on like, I have cash. I have to go spend it. Uh, the reason I bought those two last December, the one that I found on Craigslist and this multifamily is because I had like kind exchange money sitting there from the sale of another condo. No, I, I'm, I, I didn't get it. And feel free to send me a DM if I'm not answering correctly. Cause you did cut out. I'm not big on just go blow money because you have it. Oh, that's a good answer, Tom. All right, Steven. After much ado, it's time for you to tell us uh, what you're thinking about retirement. <laughs> okay, awesome. Thanks. I appreciate that. Okay, Lauren, can you uh, share my tweet that I gave you earlier today? Yep. Uh, thank you. Okay, so for myself, I'm uh, Stephen Wealthy. I run uh, the blog and website, stephenwealthy.com. And I'm 43, I'm married, I have three kids, I live in Calgary, Canada. I have a Bachelor of Commerce degree from the University of Alberta, and I specialize, and my major is in management of information systems. I'm a self-employed IT consultant, and I help large businesses implement IT systems. Um, so it's a lot of working with people, gathering what their needs are, and aligning them with a system that meets those needs. It's a lot of automation, a lot of bots, a lot of um, streamlining and integration with large-scale ERPs like SAP, if you guys are familiar with that. So for myself, I've always had the goal of building as much wealth as I can as quickly as I can. I've never wanted to um, achieve FIRE. FIRE is something I learned about when I came on Twitter last September, and everyone was talking about FIRE and I even had a couple ask me what my fire number is or what type of fire I am. And so quick Google search, you learn the definitions and stuff. I'm trying to get as much passive income as I can to replace my active income and become work optional as soon as I can. 
for myself, that's always been about 48 years old. And in, did you share the tweet there? Yeah, okay. So in the tweet that Lauren posted up there, that's my passive income that I have right now. And so I can step you through it. So I have a rental property. I'm not like Tom. I don't have an empire. <laughs> uh, I just have one rental property uh, that gets me 1150 US dollars. Uh, because I'm in Canada, I've translated all these numbers over into US dollars. So the rental property revenue is 1150. After interest, utilities, etc., it flows about 650, uh, 650 to seven, or uh, 650 to 675. And th- a lot of that has to do with I've owned it since 2004. I've just paid the debt down to the point where it's flowing really good. Dividends about a thousand dollars. That all comes from ETFs that I hold, which pay out quarterly. And so what I've done here is I've taken the annual and stretched that out and averaged it out. So I get about 3000 to $3,500 every quarter. So I've just kind of averaged out 1000 bucks. Crypto mining, 4500 and crypto staking, 700 So this is something I've been doing for over a year is just mining Ethereum. And it's been one of the best investments I've ever done. It's been absolutely incredible. When I started doing it, everyone thought it was crazy. They didn't think I would cover my electrical costs. And not only am I more than covering the electrical costs, it's creating an incredible cash flow every month for me. So that 45 plus that 700, that I will need to spend about $400 a month on electrical energy. The computer hardware is all paid for. It's all done. Uh, that didn't. I scheduled that to take about nine months, but it actually took much less than that because the Ethereum price continues to rise. The last one there is covered calls. So I have a few growth stocks that I'm very bullish on long term. And so what I'll do is I'll sell out of the money call options against those and collect those premiums. And they rarely, if ever, get assigned. And the sign means the call the stock the stock gets called away, or the option is in the money. You essentially lost the trade, but no matter what, you get to keep the premium. And so, all in, this comes in at around nine thousand ninety one fifty. Um, sometimes it'll be a little lower, just with markets. The Ethereum price isn't as favorable, or the covered calls. I just can't get as much money for the for the call options. Volatility is not as high, or whatever. Uh, but last month was ninety one hundred, and the question then becomes: Well, isn't that enough, man? Can't you punch out and get out? And I could, but my problem that I have is with the crypto mining. So half of it is coming from Ethereum mining. And as some of you guys on here tonight will know, Ethereum's going proof of stake next year. So by June 2022, it'll be turned off and I won't be able to mine Ethereum. What I will be able to do, though, is mine other coins. And so, for example, I could mine Ravencoin. I could mine Ethereum Classic. I could mine Flux. And so my goal is to wait until June of next year get that switch over to proof of stake with Ethereum, see what coins I could mine and maybe get in the fours, maybe high threes. And the crypto stake that I have there, that is almost entirely from Ethereum. 
So on top of mining Ethereum, I also stake Ethereum. Then your next question would be, where do I do that? I own the node. I stake the Ethereum myself. So I have a computer box in my house and it runs the proof of stake validator for Ethereum. And it's possible that that 700 could skyrocket when they go over to proof of stake. So I am essentially waiting for June of next year and watching the Ethereum market to see where things go. And by this time next year, I could be in a position where I can get out. I'm like, no, I'm making enough from Ethereum staking, or I'm also able to make enough from mining Flux or mining Ethereum Classic or something. And then uh, if I can keep my passive income above eight grand, that's it, I'm out. And so my goal is that is as simple as that. Let's see what we can do uh, next year. FI Squirrel, you have your hand up, but what's the question? Could you give me the 20-second answer and explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old squirrel? What does <laughs> five-year-old staking squirrel. mean? It's another language. Yeah. So I get the mining part. I've yeah. never understood. I always thought staking was like loaning out. Can you give me like the yeah. really quick version of what staking means? No gibberish? Yeah. No gibberish. Okay. Okay. So it's about collateral. So today or let's call it five years ago with crypto with bitcoin a lot of it almost well i think all of it was done through mining proof of work right so you're you have computers that are competing for the next block uh feverishly like and somebody will always win and then there's competition to validate that block and then it goes into the blockchain and you get rewarded if you're the winner and so your collateral that you're putting up is basically computational power. You're putting up an ASIC miner. Which is just, just think of it, you're putting up computers and you're running computers and you're running electrical energy. And the more computers you can have, the more rewards you're going to get. And so that worked in the start, but it's getting to a point now where it's using too much power. And you've probably heard about Bitcoin power consumption. I think we all have. Um, Ethereum runs into the same problem. A lot of Ethereum uses a, a lot of power as well, too. It's much less than Bitcoin, but it's still measurable and it's still quite an impact. So it, it brings another problem, too, where because of its proof of work consensus algorithm, and what that means is just they're competing to, cons- to achieve consensus on the next block. They're just trying to see, okay, what's who's going to win the next block? And they're trying to make sure that it's a valid block. Nobody else is uh, hacking it. Uh, is it, is with, anybody on the timer? We got a timer going. Lord, yeah, this, this the is timer? the 22nd, like you're a five-year-old. <laughs> so with staking, what you're doing is you're putting up financial collateral. So, so I put up Ethereum and said, let me, I'll validate, I'll run a computer that'll just run the validation for you. You tell me to run the validator. I'll validate the next block put it forward and we'll run consensus on it and then we'll put it into the blockchain. So instead of having a brute force work mechanism, why don't we just assign out who's going to do the next block and then we just quickly check it and put it into the block. So it's just, instead of using brute force, let's just use smarts instead. And then it's like, well, but you got to have something to back it up. It's like, well, why don't we put up collateral financial collateral? 
So staking so is you, you're you're putting forward collateral, financial collateral. Can you lose it? You can. So every probably about twice a week, I'll miss a block, and you'll get dinged for it. But it's very very minor. If they detect that you're acting as a mal actor and you're trying to purposely f up the process, they will slash you big time. Now. That's never happened to me, and I haven't heard of anyone having that problem. Um, I have heard if you try to run two validators at the same time from the same IP address on the same network, they'll detect that this is malactor, and then they'll they'll ding you for that. But I've never had a slash, is what they call that. I've never had that happen to me. But I have, like I said, twice a week or so, I'll I'll miss a block, but it's nothing. It's like that. Ah, it's just a network blip or something like that. It's just how it goes. I feel like I'm going to stick to buying crack houses after that explanation. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm with you. I'm with you, Tom. Give me the crack house. <laughs> <laughs> you, gave it a, you gave it an honest try, Stephen. And you got to work on your elevator pitch. But I think we're making progress. We're and making it's funny progress. Because every time, every time a spaces gets taken over by crypto, I die a little bit more inside. And today, I was the one that took us down this path. I'm sorry, everybody. Yeah, this is your fault. You you, you can't you can't take take a guy like myself who's like so far into this and say, "Give me the elevator pitch for a five year old squirrel." <laughs> then I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna go I'm gonna you. go down I'm gonna go down the the rabbit hole with you, man. I'm gonna take you into this into the squirrel hole. <laughs> Steven, that's amazing, like $9,000 a month in passive income. Like, that's totally awesome. And I also, I do somewhat understand your explanation because I read the book that you told me to read. And so it makes a lot of sense that, you know, with like Ethereum that next year that that's going to drop off and you have like this total plan for it. So I think that's awesome. Again, like another little thread that we're seeing woven tonight is, you know, you have your plans, but you need to kind of always be looking at the math, like J-Rod said, right? Because that's really all fire is, is, is math. You know, how much are you saving? How much do you want to spend? What's your, what's the inflation rate going to be? What's your return going to be? And you kind of are pulling all these levers all the time to kind of see when you can actually pull the retirement trigger. Let me, let, let me share this too. A lot of times people will have a retirement plan or a goal or a fire objective, and they'll have a negative plan B for it. And they'll say, what if it doesn't happen the way that I want to? Or what if something, the market crashes? Or what if, and it's always a negative kind of alternative that they're trying to mitigate. When I started this Ethereum mining, I remember this time last year, my goal was to mine $600 worth of Ethereum. That was my goal. And I got it, it was like 600, it came out at 666. I told my wife that. She's like, that's a very evil number. And so now nothing has changed, but now it's making 4,500. So sometimes our plans can actually end up being better than we ever anticipated them to become. And, you know, I get asked almost every single day, what's your plan once Ethereum proof of stake comes into play? And I've got some ideas of what I'll do for that. But it's possible that it could end up being even better and my mitigated plan, and I could have something even better come up here. Now, I know that comes across as being bragging, but to all of us, our plan B might actually be better than what we are planning for. We might be able to retire sooner than we thought. We might be able to have more passive income than we originally thought. And 
we need to at least accept the possibility that things could turn out better than ever. And I, I think that's, we got to have that in our life too. Well said, Stephen, and a really good point. I think I shared this one time on a Spaces before where I was telling my therapist, you know, what if this bad thing happens? What if this other bad thing happens? And she's like, what if it's better? You know, what if it's good? I think in all retirement planning, we should use conservative numbers. But this idea of, you know, what I was calling lottery tickets or, you know, what what crypto is for you, Stephen, it can really be better than we think it's going to be. And and that's pretty powerful and pretty awesome. So I think we covered everything we wanted to cover. I don't see any outstanding speaker requests or questions. So I think we're probably good to wrap this up for tonight, guys. So um, we are, our guest next week is Captain Dividend, who has a tremendous amount of information on his passive income that he is bringing in through dividends. He's also a real estate investor. He is also working a nine to five job similar as mine. So I'm super excited because his organization on what dividend stocks to buy. And that makes me just want to stop buying crack houses and just buy stocks. So I'm super excited that he's going to be joining us next week with all of his information. And I will definitely share my dividend information and all of us on this panel own stocks and we'll talk stocks next week. But that's a passive income that we have not touched on at all. So I'm excited to have it here next week.